Hi, my name is Yasmin Sharehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. This show is about what it means to be an old soul and finding your life purpose. On this show, we'll be featuring our guest, Ansley McLeod, an internationally acclaimed past life psychic, spiritual teacher, and award-winning author of The Instruction, The Transformation, and most recently, The Old Soul's Guidebook. Ainsley specializes in exploring past lives to reveal your life's purpose and has been a featured guest on Oprah's Super Soul Conversation series. He lives in a tranquil island in the Pacific Northwest. So thank you so much for joining us today, Ainsley. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm delighted to be here. So I read both The Instruction and The Old Soul's Guidebook, and uh, both of these books really profoundly changed the way I saw myself in the world. And, you know, for those who are new to your work, I'd love for you to just start off by maybe sharing a high-level overview of different soul types um, and different soul type personalities, and also how you learned this information. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, I was just kind of, uh, you know, bumbling along for for years and um kept hearing from from psychics that I was psychic. I never quite knew what to do with it. I didn't really consider myself to be psychic. Um, But uh, after a sort of strange encounter, I talk about this in in a couple of my books because it was so profound. But I I, I ran into my my uncle when I was on a trip um, to Hawaii, which was a bit of a shock because he'd been dead for about 10 years (laughs) at at that point. But he he visited me actually in the middle of a bookshop. And came to me and said, uh, you know, we're supposed to be working together. And so long story short, I started um, communicating with him on the other side. And that led me to to work with a whole group of spirit guides and completely transformed my life. I mean, it went from, you know, everything being kind of random, I thought, to having a com- complete sense of who I was and what I'm doing here. And that's really been what I've been helping other people to do for the last 20 years or so. Um, the way I do it particularly is, like you mentioned, I go into past lives very often to help to understand what you're working on in the present. Uh, I mean, I've often said that you can't really understand who you are or, or where you're going if you don't know where you've been and who you were before. So by finding... Um, past lives, you can tell, um, you can see themes, you can see lessons that you're learning, you can see what you may be completing from another life. Uh, you can tell a lot about the uh, connections that, that you have with other people, the fears you're trying to overcome. But as you touched on there, one of the things that um, I found so useful when I first discovered this work was that our personalities can be um, explained actually in terms of past lives if you like because you learn to be a certain way you you develop certain characteristics soul types from experiences in past lives and then you bring these influences into this life and so you know what i can do with the person as i did with you is to just break it down um it's the system that i was given by the spirit guides called the instruction which is just a simple way to um, look at all the different elements of your life plan and to have it sort of laid out. Um, so your your soul types, uh, the core of your personality is, is really, um, it's it's all in there. It's all in the instruction. And, uh, and it's actually 
uh, once you know who you are, I think it's uh, the great thing about that is it really explains why you're here. One leads to the other. And uh, so that, that, that I think was for me the, the biggest eye opener. And I think it, personally, it helped me a great deal with uh, self acceptance, which had always been a bit of a challenge. And certainly understanding my, uh, my life path as well. And it seems to have helped an awful lot of people as well. You know, I think the, the, the clearer you are about who you are, the clearer you are about everything else in your life and what's going to suit you, what, you know, what's um, consistent with your life plan. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of that is really about what's consistent with your soul types. So that's a kind of how I got started, and that's the, the soul type thing is just, you know, it's always um, one of the first things that I do within any session with a client is just to break that down. In fact, I've, I've, it's only ever happened once, but I was working with somebody just uh, last year. Uh, we, we started working, and she said, I don't want to know my soul type. I don't <laughs> want to know who I am. And... Uh, you know, I work with these spirit guides, so they, they have a lot of power. You know, without them, I am I am nothing. You know, so um, and and without knowing somebody's soul types, I'm kind of working blind. You know, I can't really see. It's so hard to to do. And we couldn't move forward. <laughs> she she wouldn't budge. My spirit guides wouldn't budge. It was like, okay, have a nice day. A standoff, yeah. So. <laughs> right. Ansley, what are the soul type personalities? Can you maybe tell us what the the main personalities are, just so our listeners can um, understand uh, how you've kind of compartmentalized? Sure. Them? Yeah. Would you like me to talk about yours as, a, <laughs> as an example? Or is that yeah. Too- yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I. I. Uh, I. So just for the listeners, I had a reading um, with Ansley about four months ago, and it was uh, in, an incredible uh, reading, which we can get into definitely later in the show. And yeah, so we can we can um, dive into my dominant personality types, uh, what came up during the reading, and sure. also speak to the ones uh, that exist. And I think maybe for the listeners, mm-hmm. uh, we can let them know, you know, what the maybe the how many dominant personality types people have too, just so there's um, an understanding of, you know, how many how many dominant personality types you, most people have and what the levels are because I think I definitely want to set the stage for what soul levels are as well because I think that's important to understanding the personality types mm. yeah oh definitely that colors everything <laughs> so just to talk a little bit about the background of um, soul types what you'll find is that uh, especially as an older soul and we'll talk about soul ages I'm sure at some point but um You'll, you'll have sort of favorite, um, these archetypes, these soul types, you'll have favorites that you um, you will tend to choose. It's all chosen before you come here. It's when you're on the astral plane before coming into this world. Uh, this, you know, I've often said that people who think babies are born as blank slates have never met one. Because, you know, if you've had babies, <laughs> and especially if you've got two or more, you know, and you can compare them, you'll they, they come like... Um, little fully loaded computers you know they've got all that stuff in there it just has to come out um so you learn to be certain things um in certain in certain past lives and then you're able to tap into those qualities those traits and behaviors in this life so the the simple way to look at well actually i'll say what makes it simple is that there are really just 10 soul types 
And this is just a convenient way of breaking it down. There's nothing magical about number 10, but it's just this is how it was presented to me. Um, So I always say that my clientele is not typical of the general population. So I tend to see the same kind of things uh, coming up a lot. When I worked with you, Yasmin, the the spiritualist is is your soul type. And this is something you, you learn to be from past lives that are either in the healing area or in a spiritual world, the contemplative or the herbalist or um, surgeon or something. Uh, so you're a spiritualist type. So you're bound to have a lot of those um, past lives, you know, possibly a nun, priest, monk, um, surgeon, doctor, physician. Um, so sort of sp- splitting between that sort of, um, spiritual side and the healing side um actually from a spiritual point of view healing should be much more spiritual than it tends to be in western medicine for this reason also spiritualist types look for uh, a higher purpose it's one of the major reasons that you'll choose it very sort of prosaically i think um you'll choose to be a spiritualist to make sure you don't waste time in a job you don't like in this life right <laughs> you know a lot of people do that and they'll say oh you know um i was thinking my I had an aunt and uncle uh, who kept looking forward to uh, retirement. And, you know, well, you know, when we retire, you know, it's like we're going to do this. Well, uh, he died the moment that almost, almost the day he retired, you know. And sometimes you, the, the spirit guys, what they feel is that you can be looking forward to these things. You don't know how it's going to work out. And you don't want to spend 40 years in a job you don't like um, just because it pays well and get to the end and <laughs> – your soul's going to go, well, what the hell was that all about? So <laughs> yeah. being a spiritualist, it's always pushing you to find that higher purpose, that that meaning. And, you know, your day job's not the only reason you're here, but, you know, particularly there you want to have meaning. Um, if I stick to you for a second, the primary influence is that of a performer type. And you'll learn to be that through past lives as a dancer, singer, uh, presenter, um, actor, Anything that's about communication and finding an audience as well. Now, the reason for choosing the performer is usually as well to work through past life issues around around self-expression. And I found a lot of people who, like you, interview me, have that performer in their soul types. It's a very, very common thing to see with people who are seeking an audience in some way. Um, It it does a couple of great things. It gives you a good sense of humor. and good people skills usually as well. And communication becomes, you know, something puts communication on the front burner, really. Right. The, the next thing that showed up in, uh, in your reading was uh, a leader influence. And this is interesting because it goes, it goes very, very well with the performer. You see performer and leader, you usually get charisma. So the the leader, you learn to be that through leading, you know, so it's, and that can be anything you could have, I don't know, been a conductor in an orchestra or, you know, led a band or, or it could be a general in the military or running a company. So there's lots of ways, but, but the past life will all have been about learning to use your authority and learning to be a leader. So things that go with that, like, um, Clear communication actually is one, especially performer and leader. You would, um, I always associated that with very, very clear communication. Um, you know, if you think of the leader, 
um, trying to get people on board. Let's say you were a general in a past life, you, you wouldn't want it in the battlefield to stop and have a long discussion of, uh, <laughs> about the, the philosophy, what, what you were doing. You know, you, it's just like issue an order, bang, bang, do this, you know. Um, and, and it can tend to be, you know, sometimes the leaders that I talk, talk to can be a little economical with the words, you know, there's no fluff, it's straight to the point. Um, actually, one thing, I'm, I don't know if I talked to you about this, but every, every leader in, in every life, even if this was your last life, you would still have to learn diplomacy. Mm. And that's partly because along with having that leader quality in you comes uh, an impatience. It's like that feeling of, I just want to get it done and move on to the next thing or, <laughs> or whatever. And uh, so sometimes the, the diplomacy is about making sure you bring people on board and, you know, don't come across just too stridently. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's sometimes a challenge you know, for, for a leader. But uh, the charisma that you get with a performer and leader is chosen for a reason. And it, it does push you into the public eye. I'm fond of saying that when I see this kind of combination, that you will never fulfill your life plan in the back room of the accounts department. Because <laughs> you, you wouldn't choose this to be, you know, just just anonymous or, or hidden away. This this puts you right in the spotlight. So the the other elements that show up, and there's lots that show up in, in you, so as I was saying, uh, you have the creator. Um, now, you learn to be a creator from past lives of creativity. So go back long enough, back in the tribe, you might have been the potter or the jewelry maker. But in other lives, anything that involved any kind of creativity or creative thought is what helps you to be this type. So very often, um, be drawn to the arts. Um, you know, creators would learn to be that way through perhaps painting, sculpting, stonemason, um, architect, anything that feels really kind of overtly um, creative. The next thing that shows up is the thinker. This is the very rational part of you. And it, I, not to get too esoteric, but it's not modified by anything else. So this is a very simple way of saying you're here to grow, you're here to learn, but you don't want to get too caught up in perhaps academic learning. Um, that's fine for a while, but there's different reasons that you are meant to really learn, but hands-on, out in the world, getting things done, experiencing things uh, firsthand. Uh, but a very rational part to you as, as well. Very deep thinking. Sometimes when you get the creator and thinker together, there's a tendency to worry because the creator is all about emotions. It's <laughs> huge sensitivity always with the creator. Um, and then the thinker is all analysis. It's all rational. Um, and it's very easy to go between the two to get caught in a loop between thoughts and feelings. The last thing that shows up is actually a helper influence most people would choose this. The helper in the past life was just the person who can do anything as long as it feels like you're contributing to the well-being of the community. So um, shopkeeper, merchant, um, uh, you know, anything where you're helping people, um, you know, EMT. Oh, gosh, there's so many uh, different ways. I mean, more helpers than any other uh, soul type. Now, Mostly a person would choose to have this influence in their soul types for grounding, but you have the leader to do that. Mm. So the reason that you choose the helper 
is to bring the sense of, of wanting to be of service. Now, because you're a spiritualist, it's going to be a sense of higher service. But that's the, the that's the fundamental reason for choosing that. Otherwise, you wouldn't really need it. It wouldn't be much much use. But it does. All, it's always going to be that little voice that's saying, "How you know? How can I be of service here?" Um, I mean, this kind of combination, you really want to make a difference to people's lives. I really want to touch people's lives uh, very, very deeply. There is one thing that's uh, worth mentioning here as well, and it's it, it's not about your soul types, but it affects it very much, is in something called missions. Again, there are 10 missions to give a little flavor to, to the life, a little bit of a focus. And you have a very strong mission of exploration. And you'll see this in, in people who love to travel, have maybe lived in different countries, uh, it's all about experiencing different cultures, but it's also about hands-on experience and very much living the life. You don't want to, you, you know, you don't want to sort of read about a mountain if you can go out and climb. You know, it's really about finding out for yourself, um, you know, what it's like. So the combination, and I think we must have talked about this, it would push you very much out in the world, you know, no, ma no matter how much you try to <laughs> you know, retire or hide away, good, good luck, you know, because <laughs> you're always, I don't know, your, your entire being is about reaching people and so on. And, you know, well, what, you're, what we're doing right now is, of course, uh, a great example of that. And actually, is that, you know, what, we're, what you're literally doing right now by, by, by interviewing me and helping other people to understand this work is all contained in the soul types. You know, you can see where it all comes from. Wow. A spiritualist wanting about, it's all about improvement for others, the performer about communication and so on. It's, it's, it's all in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you so much for, for sharing um, the dominant personality types that I have. And I mean, it's mm -hmm. so spot on, everything that you mentioned um, that came up. I mean, I was, it's funny, you said, you know, initially the spiritualist and the performer. When I was younger, I actually would write and create plays in my basement and invite my parents to come and watch me, <laughs> you know, so I think a lot of those <laughs> elements, yeah, sort of came through. Mm -hmm. And and I think, um, you know, the spiritualist piece uh, as well was very strong for me. I mean, even when I was younger and working in New York in the... Um, in the financial world and the energy world, uh, it feels like a hundred years ago, but, um, I always, yeah, you know, there was always like this, uh, existential question of like, what, a, what am I doing? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? And is it going to impact the collective? Like, I just always felt, uh, in the depths of my soul that there was something more to life and there was something more to my purpose. And I wasn't really living the life that I, I felt was right for me for, for a long time. So, um, so yeah, yes. so that's, that, that's really the effect of the spiritualist very much. It, it has you questioning things like, you know, am I being effective enough? Is this really what I want to be doing? Um, I have the spiritualist in, in my soul types. And uh, the moment I started working after college, I started questioning the whole thing. I got into advertising. So as an art director, and I started almost immediately questioning the whole work ethic, um, what I was doing, you know, the, the, did it feel meaningful enough? I didn't like advertising itself. And, um, and it took me three years, but I got out of it to do something that felt more personally meaning, meaningful. So that's really this, the, the effect of the spiritualist pushing, pushing, pushing all the time to, you know, you'll know if you have it and you'll know if they're in the wrong place, if you're constantly thinking about doing something else and, and dreaming about doing something more meaningful.
Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing to um, realize, especially in our capitalistic Western world, where it feels like people, um, you know, look at profit and and uh, economics above all else. Um, oh, yeah. And and especially, you know, in place, at least for me, in my experience living in New York City, um, and I think really moving out to the Bay Area, which is where I live now, is where I started to have uh, more of a realization of of what my my life purpose was um, beyond just, you know, the, the basics of, okay, you know, get the house, have a family, have a job, retire. So there's, there's just, you know, so much more, I think, that, that all of us have. There's this untapped potential within all of us. Um, and I think, oh. I, yeah, and I, I just wanted to say, I think, I think I also never quite understood uh, people's motivations um, when it was just for money or, or external success. I think it was just, it was very confusing for me. I was kind of like, you know, what, you know, I, for example, um, you know, I, I made a, I wrote and, and co-produced a film, a short film a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, people would always say, why are you doing this? You're not going to make any money. And, and I thought, that's such a strange question. You know, why would I not, do, why would I not do this? It's about the message. It's about raising the collective consciousness. And I feel like that's such an important kind of, it's a, it, it, it's a, a such an important gift uh, to give to the world. Um, and it's not a personal, you know, it's not something that I'm, uh, selfishly acquiring for myself, right? It's a, it's really a gift uh, rather than a commodity, which I, I think is a big difference. So, uh, well, I, a lot of that could be soul age related as well. You know, um, do you mind if I talk about soul ages for? Uh, yes, I was just going to ask you that question. Yeah, I think for for people that have not read the book, they're probably interested in, in understanding what the the soul levels are and and what they mean. And I think maybe many people have heard the the Oprah uh, conversation with you um, about soul levels as well. But I'd love for, I'd love for you to share uh, what that means for the audience. Yeah, um, well, it's it's all um, it's all a question of reincarnation and. Uh, how the soul keeps coming back here, uh, coming back to the physical plane lifetime after lifetime to gain experience. And you know, put very simply, you start as a young soul and you end as an old soul. It can take a long time. It can take um, quite a few thousand years back and forth, um, usually well over 100 lifetimes by the time you, you get to the end. Um, as you get to be an older soul, you, you tend to focus more on kind of what's important and it's not to say that making money isn't important because you know as you know living in new york i mean if you if you don't <laughs> if you haven't got any money in new york you know it's a tough place to be yeah um i mean the, the whole world right now is i mean it's, it is a tough place to be it's kind of um uh, you know it's, it's not necessarily meant to be the way it is it's everything if, it, if we were in an old soul world it would be everything would be a little bit more cooperative and help we'd all be helping each other you can clearly see that's not happening i mean but certainly happening in with certain groups and, and older souls making a difference right now but to, so to go back there's 10 levels again just for for convenience um, but uh, halfway through uh, end of level five you you go that you go from being a young soul to an old soul but you can break them down even um even more uh i look at percentages of soul ages so so they, they have a different focus broadly speaking each soul level you know, one to ten has a certain focus, but then you can break them down uh, even more into you know into, into a further ten and get a sense of what uh, what you'd be working on. So, um, 
the people I work with tend to be older souls. They've got a lot of lifetimes behind them. And the one of the signs of being an older soul is that you would you you would happily take way less income if you're doing something that feels fulfilling to you. Uh, because it is so much about, even if you weren't a spiritualist type, it still is so much more about doing what really is meaningful to you. So when you're a younger soul and, you know, you in the world of finance back there in New York, and you, you'd be surrounded by younger souls. And and they often have yet to learn those lessons. They don't have the experience. So... Um, they do, uh, it's almost like they keep the focus, keep their eye on the wrong ball. You know, they're, they're kind of looking at, at uh, you know, money as a way to judge success, which an old soul doesn't gen- generally do. I mean, you may be conditioned to do it, but usually the old soul feels like the person who's successful is the one who's doing the most meaningful <laughs> work to them rather yeah. than the one who's making the most money. Um, I mean, you look at somebody like Jeff Bezos, I mean, yeah, okay, super, super wealthy. Um, but I don't think a lot of old souls would particularly respect him for, for that. Of course, young, uh, some yeah. younger souls or maybe a lot of younger souls would feel that that was a measure of success. You know, he's he's a hugely successful person. Uh, as an older soul, you might feel, well, unless he does really good work with that, he's not really successful, is he? You know, so a different way of kind of looking at these things. Uh, you are a level 10 soul, by the way, um, as we, we talked about, you're a really, really old soul. And uh, you can only do something like that corporate world for so long. Most of the people that I work with, um, are, they tend to, my clients in the main fall into a narrow band. I mean, I have clients of all ages, but it's this narrow band between 37 and 43 that I see all the time. And it's got a lot to do with when the soul is conscious of the decades, so you're approaching 40 and the soul is kind of starting to go, okay, where do we go from here? What's the next step? And very often what was working isn't working so well. Because, you know, we we get conditioned, we get trained, you know, we come out of college and we get, we get told, get a good job. And that means getting something where you get paid well. And then by the time you've done that for 10 years, your soul is crying out for something better or different. And, uh, you know, the soul is kind of going, really? Is this going to be it? <laughs> and very often, you know, the, the relationship we get into, you know, you marry, you marry your college sweetheart or something. And, you know, so you're, if you're getting into your late 30s, sometimes, you know, you kind of go, well, I'm not the same person. I'm not sure this relationship is really working for me. So it's often a time of um, change, of, you know, so watershed period for a lot of people uh, and i often say that doing the work you know working with somebody like you uh, when you're a little bit you know before the 40 mark you can head off the midlife crises um quite easily by just helping to to nudge nudge somebody into you know what more what they're supposed to be doing so i do see a lot of people who, who start off in the more corporate world and can can do okay you know for an interesting thing about your soul age is that you're exactly 50 percent into level 10. And I found over the years, 50% is the only time that that uh, a level 10 soul will really feel comfortable in the corporate world. Not for very long, but uh, <laughs> depending. But they do seem to do a little bit better. Um, you're almost a little bit more chameleon-like at that 50% point. It's kind of weird, you know, uh, but you can you can pass for one of them. You know, it's like 
you look like a regular <laughs> muggle, but really, you know, you're you're this super old soul. <laughs> so, um, so there's the the focus. It's so it's so interesting to see how people um, manifest their soul age. You know, I mean. Like I say, personal work tends to be so much more important when you get to be older. Um, I, I work with a lot of writers, artists, um, and people like that. You know, it's a, they're wanting to find some personal expression of uh, often, often of their creativity. Um, younger souls, you know, and they're not necessarily it's not necessarily such a, an important thing there somebody who's level nine generally you would expect them to be more on a spiritual path it's a time when a lot of people are really sort of um recognizing things like how uh religion and spirituality are not the same um you, you can have both um you know they're not mutually exclusive but they are different and uh so i tend to find that the, the people that i work with tend to be really old souls and uh you know, I usually find that these are people who would um, define themselves as being more spiritual rather than simply religious. Uh, there's also a lot of deep thinking and questioning. One of the signs of being an older soul, and what this happens on this flip after level five, is that um, you you become much more introspective. It's it's far harder for a younger soul to be introspective. And uh, but once you're an older soul, there is a sort of like a feels almost like a 180 degree flip um, mm -hmm. from this external focus to much more internal. Um, but you know, I, I one thing I, I I often do when I look at somebody's soul types, I'll just go through them in what I call the Cliff Notes way. Um, just a very simple way that I would look at yours would be that the spiritualist in you will always look for our purpose or for, for meaning. The performer is always going to want to reach an audience. That means, you know, reaching people. Um, the leader wants to lead, not follow. You want to use your authority. Uh, the creator wants to have a lot of autonomy because you need autonomy to be able to be creative, you know, to use your creative thought. And so um, I will say about somebody like you, you cannot be micromanaged. It will kill you. you know, <laughs> yeah, <worse than laughs> absolutely. And then the thinker wants to grow with everything that you do, and the helper wants wants to feel like what you're doing is offering a, a service. So it's really simple. You just and you can apply that to anything you do and just you know check it out. You know anything. So you know if you if you were offered a job, for example, you go okay. Well, let's see how this would um, square with my soul types. You know, is this, is this going to be fulfilling? Again, the more you know about yourself, the, the easier it is to make these decisions. Right. Right. Absolutely. And could you also talk about, you know, some of the, the other like low, maybe different levels. And I mean, the way that I've interpreted the soul, uh, uh, levels is it's not what you think it is in many ways. Um, you know, I think most people look at, like you said, the external piece, um, as validation of their soul evolution. But the way that I've seen it is if you believe that you are connected, more connected to everything and everyone, if there is, you know, this inherent connection to all things and knowing that when one person falls, 
you fall. We all fall together. And when one person rises up, we all rise together. So like that interconnectedness is how I sort of interpreted, just based on what I read from your books, um, the evolution of of levels and what that, you know, so so someone who's a level nine, level 10 sees themselves as a part of the whole rather than just an individual separated from the whole working on their own. I think that's a really, yeah, I think that's a really um, a significant way to determine whether somebody is younger or older soul. Um, I often describe it as the, the, the journey, soul's journey, going from a place of me to we. It's separation to connection in a lot of ways. Um, but it's through experience. It's through, um, you know, when you get to be an old soul, you've, you've worn many color skins. You've, you've been all over the world. You've had, you know, your soul has pushed you to experience all different permutations, variations of um, what it's like to be human. So that just leads to greater acceptance. And I often say, that, I mean, the simple marker of being a level 10 soul is just acceptance of others because you, whoever you look at, you've been there. So, um, you know, whether it doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight, black, white, brown, whatever. You know, these things really uh, shouldn't ever matter to a level 10 soul. And sometimes it takes, you know, can be a while, you know, can be a few decades or years to shake off the effects of your uh, culture or you you know, the effects of the family and so on, um, other people's beliefs. But deep down, older souls tend to have that um, far greater acceptance. Um, now, clearly, not everybody has that. I mean, there's a lot of younger souls around, and uh, they see huge differences um, between genders. Um, you know, oh, horrified by trans people using the wrong bathroom or whatever, or... Um, even just seeing big differences between men and women, you know, women have, are you know, supposed to be in their place or something. And, you know, it's, it's just not, not being able yet to see the, the connection. Mm. And, and of course, you know, yeah, racism, homophobia and, and so on. It's, it's really an expression of, of lack of experience. And as I said before, the soul's journey is taking it from fear to, to love. So when you see people who are, acting in such a sort of, you know, lower level kind of way. They're actually acting from a place of fear. I mean, homophobia, racism, that sort of thing is, is just an expression of fear. It's what you, you just don't understand. And uh, so th once you get to the end of the journey, it tends to be, uh, yeah, really, really just who cares? You know, it's, <laughs> there are far more important things to, to worry about. Yeah. Um, and so, so politically, you'll see as, as the soul ages, it tends to go from, uh, you know, more fear-based conservatism, fundamentalism is a real fundamental religion is, is, is very fear-based and, and very much appealing to, to younger souls who need that certainty. And like I say, once you, once you get to be an older soul, you're going to be a little more spiritual rather than religious, um, but also more progressive, uh, politically, you know, more concerned about things like the environment or the well-being of other people. And in fact, because you, you know, when you get to the real, right up to the end of the journey, um, you know, these late level ten souls are the ones you often see who um, will put their necks on the line uh, to help other people, even though they have no skin in the game themselves. It's they know they're doing it because it's the right thing. This is. Um, 
altruism. It's a, and that's really sort of, in some ways, you know, an ultimate goal. I mean, soul is really trying to get to that place of, of love, which is compassion, connection, altruism, and so on. So you'll see it as something like, um, you know, really recently with the um, Black Lives Matter protests, you'll see people turning up who who they don't have to. They're not black and they're not being uh, they're not being killed by the police. They don't have the same. There's no risk to them. But they they turn up, you know, like the you know the mums, the grannies, the dads with leaf blowers, you know, whatever. It's like you know people who who they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for for others, and that's actually a sign of you know you can tell that these people are going to be uh, older souls. And it's not to say that exclusively. It's it's not totally, you know. Um, you know, black and white or, or you know, or, or, you know, I mean, you can get younger souls who have kind of broken through this illusion of separation and connect, uh, you know, very more ethically. And, and it's not any way to say that young souls are bad, old souls good. I mean, you can be an old soul and you can be a total jerk. And I, you know, sure, you've met some and I've met quite a few, you know. Uh, so it's no, it's no guarantee that just because you're you know, you've had all this experience that you're going to sort of act, um, you know, in, a, in an ethical way. I mean, you can still get old souls who are crooks and so on. Um, and you can get young souls who are, are very altruistic and very, very caring as well. So, you know, what I'm talking about are more sort of generalizations, but they tend to, to hold true. Wow. And um, what are soulmates and uh, soul families? And I'm I'm curious, you know, the the differences in, in levels between a family or, you know, at a uh, a, a job, or for example, or maybe if you're sharing an apartment with people who have different levels, like how does that work out usually? And and I mean, I'm just curious, like where the clusters of maybe the level nine, level ten, the more evolved souls tend to live. If you know that, or if you have an answer to that, sure. Well, um, let's say I mean I have a lot of clients who who are old souls who've come into this world um, to be around younger souls, at least in their formative years. And it's an odd little choice, but you know, very typically, uh, uh, talking of areas that tend to be um, younger, younger souls. Uh, well, somebody asked me this question yesterday, and I say, it's, it's my stock answer in a way, is always look at the bumper stickers. If you not want to know what the predominant soul age somewhere is, uh, yeah, look at the bumper stickers. Or, or just look at how, how they vote. You know, it tends to be like, you know, the younger soul more conservative, so the older soul uh, more progressive. So that can tell you an awful lot. So the, I see these old souls, they come in, they're born into a young soul family and say, uh, in the Bible Belt, you know, so the American South say. Um, so, so they might grow up in rural Alabama, say. Um, and as soon as they get to a point where they can move, they split for the coasts. They might go to, yeah. you know, older soul, someplace with older soul consciousness, like uh, Boston or, or on the West Coast. There's a lot of places, um, you know, uh, Portland, Seattle, Olympia, you know, these places that do tend to be, Again, it'd be politically more progressive and more comfortable hangouts for for old souls. Um, the younger souls. One of the markers of being a very young soul is that you you want things to be very clear. Um, 
you don't want a lot of questioning. And so mm. that's why they're, uh, they, they do tend to like strict laws, know where everybody is. Um, and, uh, you know, as I say, they, do they want their gods to be strong, usually male? It's like really looking for the, <laughs> for the father, you know, tell me what to do. Whereas the older soul is going, hey, I'm here to make my own decision. Right, wow. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be told what to do or, you know, controlled by, by some authority. You know, because it's you're really, really here to make, to make your own decisions. So uh, the in the states anyway. I mean, certainly you're coastal. You're going to get this, and, and and cities tend to be a little bit more older soul as well. Um, again, it's a generalization, but you know, you can see it with some place like Seattle. I mean, it's, again, you know, right. I'm kind of joking about bumper stickers, but they do kind of tell you an <laughs> awful lot. And in the city, you know, you might you're going to get the sort of you know more older soul kind of stuff and and then you you know you, you move into the more rural areas and you get it's a little bit more sort of trumpian and um but you know these again like i say they are generalizations i mean i live in a rural part but it's a very old soul uh, kind of place um and so you get clusters so you know old souls are looking for uh, belonging. It's actually a major issue for an awful lot of old souls trying to find the community they want to belong to, trying to find soulmates, you know, yep. you're talking about. And soulmates are are souls that you are part of your soul family and that you, with whom you have a, an agreement. Usually for convenience, my spirit guides would use soulmates to describe a romantic agreement but sometimes they could just be there with their way of saying you have a really really strong connection with this person you've known them in many lifetimes just could be a really good friend and uh so we're all the time trying to find these members of our tribe it's not such a big deal when you're a younger soul but when you get to be an older soul you want to share the experiences with those that you've known before so it tends to be a search all the time for for these people that you've you maybe you you Maybe you were married in a, you know, past life 200 years ago. Maybe your business partners, whatever. You seek them out, and then the, what you're doing is often karmically you're completing something from the past life, or you already get each other. You know, people often say, "How will I? How would I recognize a soulmate?" And the answer is usually just familiarity. That um, you'll feel that, almost that sense of, "Yeah, I kind of know you from somewhere, don't I?" You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. You know, 300 years ago in Tasmania, but, you know, it's um, uh, your souls will still sort of uh, resonate. One thing I've often said is that I think we would value relationships much more if we knew how much work goes into meeting, you know, meeting these soulmates and, you know, meeting others. Because I think sometimes we just think these are random encounters, but in fact, there's much more, you know, you're meant to, to get to know us person you know and maybe share some experiences with them um and conversely sometimes you know we can get into you know friendships and relationships that have no depth to them because you know you haven't known each other before and that's it can work but you know sometimes it can feel a little fresher even but um generally that's not what the older soul is looking for it's like you know it's where's my tribe um You've done all that sort of meeting new people thing before, you know, it's like now it's, let's, let's get the band back together, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. You know, I, I can usually tell right away when there's a familiarity or some sort of resonance where I'm like, oh, I, I 
your soul, whatever your personality, however you're showing up, it's familiar to me. And I don't know where, yeah. but, and it's, and I think that's also true for, you know, friendships or people that I haven't talked to in many years, but when I, I, I know how I feel about them and I know how they feel about me. And there's just an incredible depth of love, uh, between us and there always will be, and nothing will ever take that away. You know, there's just, yeah. So I think when you get that feeling that, or if, if you've ever known somebody where you haven't talked to them for five years and then you, you get a call and you pick up almost where you left off, you know, it's kind of um, a sign that, you know, there's a deeper connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm curious if you could talk about uh, spirit guides. Um, I know that you work with spirit guides. How can, uh, for folks who maybe are unfamiliar with working with spirit guides, how can how can they work with theirs and... Um, yeah, I'm just curious if there's, if there's any ways that you can guide people to, um, you know, accessing their spirit guides or, or maybe this, uh, this power outside themselves, um, for, yeah. for information. Yeah. Well, I, this is something that really transformed my life. Um, you know, for, for years, I, psychics who, you know, kept telling me, I was, kept telling me about my uncle being a spirit guide. And I was supposed to work with them. I heard that for years and from many sources, but I didn't really know what to what to do about it. And what I discovered was that we all have spirit guides. Um, we have different kinds of spirit guides. And uh, anything we do in this life can be enhanced by working with our spirit guides. I mean, it's the, they'll often say to me things like, well, we only have one purpose. <laughs> you know, we're, we're here to guide you, you know. Um, of course, I mean, they do a little bit more than that. You know, if you get a nudge in a certain direction, you know, maybe it could be that sort of, you know, gut feeling like, you know, I don't, I shouldn't take this job. or I don't think it's the right thing to do. Or I really need to do this or whatever. All this sort of like where you get like a strong nudge in a certain direction. That's your spirit guides working with you. Uh, they will help you to meet people that you're meant to and, um, on this plane. Um, I was working with somebody yesterday who made a point that I've often talked about, which is someone who um, went to college and, and realized that it wasn't about the degree or the PhD that she's doing. It's about the person she was meant to meet there. And uh, that's a the strong soul agreement with somebody who's going to have a big influence uh, on her life. And I think we often think we're going somewhere just for the job or for the education, but it's really about the souls that uh, we're trying to meet. So the spirit guides are working with us all the time to help us with things like that. I wouldn't do anything. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't have um, started talking you to, to to you today without bringing my spirit guides in. I just always would have them as my sort of backup and support. Uh, if I I play music, I would always bring my spirit guides in. I paint, so I'd use guides for that. And of course, when I'm working with my clients. Um, I bring my spirit guides in the morning, but I also connect, I mean, talk, you know, we'll confirm that through the day, making sure I'm connected to the highest source. Um, I get people who say to me, I don't think I have spirit guides or I don't think they're talking to me or I think they're mad with me or whatever. And <laughs> uh, usually the spirit guides will be saying to me, look, you know, we're yelling and we're not being heard, you know, it's the... <laughs> Usually any problem with communication is on this end rather than their end. Um, sometimes, 
life is just too noisy. It's one of the most important things, I think, when it comes to communicating with those on the other side. Um, and whether you call them spirit guides, angels, God, whatever it is, it's just, a, you know, whatever you like to call that that energy. I, uh, my spirit guides call themselves spirit guides, so that's why I use that term. Um, but, you know, if, if you're going to connect with the other side, you need that inner and external tranquility. So one of the really important things is to get into a regular practice of meditation and communicating with your spirit guides. Um, I do it, you know, I mean, well, I I should say in the early days when I was learning to do this, there's a couple of different ways. Um, One was that I would uh, just spend a lot of time putting out requests, you know, please help me with this, please help me with that, and so on. So, um, just putting out requests, not needing it, not requiring the reply. So I would just do that. I'd be out exercising. I'd be taking a trot around the block or something, and I'd just, I'd just be talking to my guides. But when it came to sort of getting answers, then you really need to be in a still space for that because you're trying to receive as well as just give. So I found that uh, having a quiet place, if there's, if there's anywhere in your home that you can find um, – uh, actually, we – you know, I know you'll you'll know the place when in, being in San Francisco. Uh, that when I I'm, my my biggest awakening happened when I moved to the West Coast. Uh, psychic had told me years before I'd end up in California, and I protested. I was living in Britain at the time, and you know, I said, "Oh, I went there once, didn't like it." You know, something like that. <laughs> said, "There's nothing you can do about it, nothing." And uh, so I found myself. In California, strange set of events. Found myself in this quiet little apartment in Knob Hill, and first night there, I sat down. I haven't meditated for years. My life had been too stressful, and I meditated and immediately heard the voice of that psychic saying, "You're going to end up in California." And uh, so, and it was like in the room, you know, it's like it was. It, it got my attention in a way almost nothing else ever has. It was just extraordinary. Um, so. Um, I I would go up to uh, the uh, Grace Cathedral up on the top of the hill there and uh, just go in there and, and meditate and just quietly talk to my spirit guides. So if the point I'm making is if you don't have a quiet space in your home or you can't get away from people in your, your home or something like that, just maybe there's a place you can go. If you can, parks, nature, those sort of things can be great. I've, I've communicated with my spirit guides on beaches forest trails, that sort of thing. But it always requires this tranquility. It is so hard. You know, if, if you're trying to talk to your spirit guides or hear your spirit guides and you've got the TV on, you've got radio on, you've got, uh, you know, your <laughs> people talking to you. I mean, it's just we live lives that are so noisy. I mean, even here where I'm, I'm on a quiet little island in Puget Sound, but if I go out on the deck to talk to my spirit guides, I guarantee somebody's going to fire up a leaf blower somewhere or um, a <laughs> plane's going to go overhead. We're on the flight path to SeaTac. You know, it's like it's, it's you think it's really quiet until you. Um, in fact, I, it was first when I, I was trying to record something one time and I thought, oh, I'll do it on the deck. And then I realized I can't get five minutes of recording without you know, somebody sort of. Uh, you know, starting up a lawnmower or <laughs> something in the distance or, you know, planes or whatever. So um, it is pretty hard for a lot of us, you know, living in the city. I'm sure you know what it was like living in New York. 
Um, right. I, I lived in New York, could not connect with my spirit guides uh, once or twice, maybe. Uh, not consciously, because I didn't really know I had them at the time, but <laughs> I do remember having that. a couple of moments where I had the awareness, but I lived, you know, uh, right in the center of things. It was even 4 a.m., there's this horns honking, it's people yelling in the street. It's just like, it was endless noise. And uh, it, it's impossible to connect, or very, very hard. You do need to be a little bit off the grid, you know, if you can. Um, but we all have the, the ability, you know, because it's obviously harder for some people to connect with spirit guides, and some people are not going to have any interest in doing it. But most of us have some ability, and certainly older souls who are the ones who are more curious about this sort of thing would have the ability. Um, we just don't off, often give it a try. Kind of like, you know, me, when I first talked to my uncle on the other side, it was like, okay, well, I guess I'd better <laughs> give it a try, you know. Um, and this is what I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to do. And when I did, I was very, very surprised to feel like, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm getting all this stuff back. It was like uh, I really didn't expect it. Um, I didn't think I was, you know, psychic material or, or whatever. So um, I think what I encourage, you know, anyone to do is find that quiet space. Maybe get like a focus. It can be, you know, candle or, you know, sometimes we burn incense or people know to burn incense and candles, that's actually a resonance with a past life. Because so many of us have been in monasteries and maybe a Buddhist monk in Tibet or somewhere, and there is an association that the soul makes with certain scents, and even a flickering light of a candle, it can take you into that different space and help you to connect. But whatever works for you, it could be vision boards, little altar, um, Maybe just, you know, put some noise-canceling headphones on your head. I mean, whatever whatever works, but get into that quiet space. And then just put put questions out to the spirit world. And over time, what you can do is you can learn to discern the difference between your imagination and the voice of the spirit world. Uh, you'll, you'll start to know that any sort of gut feelings that you get um, – are serving you well. It's not just your imagination. And uh, it's a learned skill, you know, but I really, um, f for me, it was, um, it felt transformational because it's, when I started connecting with the spirit world, I, I, I never felt alone. Um, I always, feel, even now, I feel like I've got all these kind of friends on the other side. Uh, if I go for a day without connecting with my spirit guides, I feel something, something missing. I'm so used to having them around. Uh, I personally uh, bring them in and I send them away when I'm kind of done. I um, energetically, when I'm, I'm working with the guides, it's very draining to be um, constantly connected to the other to the other side so uh, strongly. It doesn't mean they're going to abandon me or they're not going to be working. But we just it's it's a it's a way to stay a little bit more grounded and sort of less, you know, half of you being on the astral plane. Um, so I find that's a useful thing, a useful tip as well. You know, officially bring your spirit guides in and then tell them when you're done, okay, thank you very much. Um, I'm going back to the real world now, or maybe they're going back to the real world. <laughs> wow. This is uh, incredible. And um, I actually live in Knob Hill, funny enough, and I'm a couple blocks away from Grace Cathedral. So, uh, 
Thank you for for sharing this information. I have so many more questions, but I know that we are at time. Um, so, uh, Ansley, can I ask you one more question, or do you have a hard stop right now? No, no, go ahead. Okay, great. I just I think um, the past life fears uh, is a is an important topic, and I'd love to uh, just speak a little bit about. Um, some typical past life fears, and I know, you know, from my reading, um, we we spoke about two past life fears that were um, really powerful for me when you shared them. Because um, one in particular, I think the first one that you shared, I didn't share this during our conversation, um, but I was <laughs> quietly crying <laughs> uh, because it was, um, yeah, it was, it really hit me, hit hit home for me, um, and it was about humiliation. Um, so. So, and we've all got these triggers, right? What triggers one person is not going to trigger another person. And some of it isn't about your, um, you know, your formative years, your younger years, your adolescence. Some of it just is, is something that you kind of, uh, are born with. Um, well, it goes way beyond that. It's yeah. <laughs> a lot earlier. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot, of, a lot of times people are looking at childhood and just saying, I must, must some, something must have happened. And, um, but then you'll find it was in the past life. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting you should talk about humiliation because um, what I found is that consistently if somebody has a past life where there is ridicule associated, usually associated with the, with the death um, or at least some sort of major trauma in that past life, then and, and examples are it's usually something like being led to your execution through jeering townspeople, people throwing vegetables at you and rotten fruit and kind of jeering and that sort of ridicule, or especially if there's anything really humiliating like, you know, um, well, having your clothes removed and, and then being executed or something, and it's going to be, you know, it's adding a sort of humiliation there. Then I find that that, that person in this life will find it very hard to be teased because the soul feels that there's a much more serious intent. It's a, it's a trigger. It's a reminder of whatever happened in the past life. And we're all of us affected by past lives. I mean, it's uh, to, to you know, a ridiculous extent sometimes. Uh, people have that idea that as you get to be an older soul, somehow you, you're, you're on this path to perfection. And in some ways you are. You know, you're learning the importance of, higher spiritual values, peace, truth, freedom, and so on. But people say to me, if I'm such an old soul, how come I, how come I have so many anxieties and fears? And the reason is that the veil is very thin as you get older. You know, it's your, you're tapping, tapping into your, your soul and your soul's past. And unfortunately, there's a lot of trauma there. So um, the, the most important thing that I found is that all the, all the past life um, traumas, all fears can be identified again uh, can all be broken down so it's, it's an easy way to to look at what you might be dealing with and almost always if you find a past life and you find the source of the fear phobia limiting belief or body pain or whatever it is that whatever the problem is seems to uh, dissipate sometimes heal up really really quickly and very often, I mean, typically I work with somebody who's, they've tried all these different modalities, they've seen doctors all their lives, and, um, and no one's ever been able to figure it out. And they can't because it's a ghost memory. 
they're dealing with. And once the soul is reminded that it's a past life, uh, there's a past life issue. So it's like the soul just goes, okay, I won't have to, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so even the most deep rooted fears and phobias can just, just disappear. So, I mean, if you, if you were judged and executed in a past life, well, that judgment will show up very often as a fear of public speaking or being tested or stage fright or something like that. And, uh, and that can disappear very, very quickly. Um, you know, it could be as soon as the soul is reminded, yeah, you were judged, you were executed, and it's able to put that into the past, then the, you're no longer triggered. Because what, what's been happening is you stand up in front of an audience, the soul goes, oh, my God, we're going to die. It's not rational, but it's based on what's happened in the past life. And your soul can't separate one life from the others without the conscious mind's help. So when you say, by airing the past life, it could be a regression. When I'm working with people, I just tell them, because this is, I'm already in the zone, so I just go, well, you know, this happened, this, that happened. And then the soul just goes, okay, great, we don't have to worry about that anymore. So I've seen amazing things happen. I mean, certainly in areas like uh, self-expression, you know, being able to really sort of put yourself out there instead of hiding your light all the time, um, self-worth, self-confidence issues, they can, they can shift very quickly, uh, getting a greater sense of belonging, overcoming trust issues. But a lot of uh, phobias, I mean, like that fear, phobia of public speaking, I mean, that's, that's just a death-related fear. Um, phobia of water, you know, drowning, that sort of thing, that can, that can heal up very, very quickly. Sometimes there are um, fertility issues. I've, I've helped people with that. Um, it's the, let's say the soul knows what it's like to die in childbirth. Well, it could be exerting a lot of power over the, the, the physical body, trying to prevent um, conception from taking place, uh, you know, interfering with fertility um, because of that fear that, oh my gosh, if we get pregnant, we'll die again. So there, there's no end to those weird things that, that stem from past lives. And uh, especially those idiosyncrasies, you know, why you've never liked this or you get really triggered by that or why you get so upset by something. I mean, one very obvious thing is, you know, when unfortunately I see rape and sexual violence a lot in past lives, and you'll usually know that you you have something like that in your soul's past because you will be very triggered if you read about rape or or it comes up in a movie or something. You can often tell, you know, from what you know what triggers you, what fires you up. You can tell an awful lot about what's going to be uh, lurking in your past lives. Wow. And I could talk all day about this, Susan, so uh, <laughs> feel free to cut me off at any point. I mean, I'm, I also can, can listen uh, to all this wisdom, um, and I have so many more questions. I, I, just, I think this space is so fascinating, and, you know, and I think um, as a collective, I think we're just really starting to scratch the surface. And, you know, I, I really can't thank you enough for, for our conversation because, you know, I will tell the audience – that when we chatted um, and we spoke about a past life fear of humiliation, you know, I was very happy in my life. I have been, I've been very happy in my life. I, I found the spiritual path um, and I, you know, meditate every day. I spend two years in a meditation program. And um, after our conversation, I, I realized I was like, okay, well, I think I was given 
these talents and this personality to actually help people and be more out in the world because, you know, of all the the different personality types and the conversation that we had. Uh, I won't go into detail here, of course, but but it really, you know, it was kind of an eye-opening thing for me where I, I realized that, yeah, I could live my life where I could just turn inwards and, and um, you know, have this internal peace. But I know a lot of people are really suffering. And um, and I, I help people in my community as much as possible. But I, I think sharing this information and sharing these types of, like, gateways to different uh, modalities in the spiritual community is very important. And I, I know many people in this, in this world who... Um, who are working on different modalities to help expand people's consciousness and and to just kind of suspend their disbelief of of all the things that we really don't know about the world. I think there's I think there's a level of arrogance to say, "Oh, we know for sure that this is not happening." Just because we can't see it with our physical senses doesn't actually mean it's not there, you know. And science has been wrong every couple hundred years. So, I think there's just there's a lot of I I this show for me is about opening a door for people and um really for, like not forcing them, but encouraging them to ask questions, to to ask to ask questions of what's happening in their own lives, what's happening at society at large. How can we live, you know, a higher life path purpose? I think we have so much more untapped potential. So I'm just so excited to talk to you. And um, is there any kind of like last? Well, it's lovely to hear you talk about you. You just <laughs> you sounded there. I was just listening and going, "Gosh, you're such an old soul." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's been hard. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, it's been hard. It, sometimes I, I, you know, it's not for me. It's felt um, hard to relate uh, to people. Um, and you know, I have I have my my clusters of friends who, especially you know, folks who are near and dear to my heart. So I'm very lucky. But I, you know, it's been it's been hard because I don't think I'm chasing the same things that I think a lot of people are in our in our society are chasing. And there's nothing. And I'm not. There's no judgment there. Uh, I want to be really clear. There's no judgment. It's just. It just is, um, and so well, it's, a, it's a major challenge for an old soul like you when ninety-five uh, percent of the population is going to be younger soul, um, and the, the the very typical thing is to feel like a real outsider, you know, to feel like you're you you, you don't fully belong, uh, and that's why again it's really important for you to find the the tribe. And what I found is that um, almost everybody is. Well, maybe everyone who's interviewed me in the last year since my new book came out has been overcoming a past life fear of rejection by bringing the tribe together. You know, broadly speaking, what you're doing is you're trying to bring bring people together. You're you're, you're trying to heal them, and uh, you know it's the it's the kind of Pied Piper um, role, uh, and that helps to overcome that fear of rejection. That, sense of being an outsider if you can sort of uh, not just belong but you can be the one to unite others that's a, a very important role to play yes yeah thank you so much Ansley. I yeah uh, that's definitely feels very much in alignment with my purpose and it's so interesting how in this conversation you know I spend uh, a part of my life in uh, in other industries and in tech and and I also have this spiritual path and I have this podcast and I do film but whenever I'm you know in this space with someone who is also on the spiritual path I I move from my head into my heart and it's very obvious because even my tone of voice starts to change 
you know, where when I'm talking about something analytical, my voice is here, but then when I'm in my heart, it's just softer, it's slower. And, you know, I think Stuart Pierce actually talked about this, but it's, it was very obvious to me during this conversation how much I was in my heart when we were talking. So I'm just so grateful <laughs> that that just even speaking to you feels um, like such a treat and such a joy. And thank you for everything that you're doing for this world. And I think, you know, for people that, um, just one last question I think is, is important. I think for people, maybe we should have asked this earlier, but for people that are skeptical about, you know, past lives, and I will, you know, uh, openly say, I didn't believe in any of this stuff, uh, maybe even just five, five years ago. Um, you know, I was reading Christopher Hitchens living in New York, New York city, and it was actually like six years ago. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been fascinating to see how much more I have understood about, um, this, this new level of consciousness just in a short period of time. So I'm just curious for, you know, you know, is there anything you could tell people that don't believe in past lives? Um, what what could what would you want to tell them as kind of like the last? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking. I mean, I used to live in New York City and read Christopher Hitchens too. You know, it's like I'm. <laughs> um, so, what I always say, you know, usually when people say, "Well, what do you say to to people who don't believe in past lives?" and I, and my answer is, I don't say anything. I, it's not my purpose to try and convince anybody. Of anything, and I learned that very early on when I started working with the spirit guides. Um, I found that if I tried to proselytize or to um, try and push my beliefs on somebody, I would actually my throat would close up. It was a way of the soul was saying, "Hey, this is not what we're what we're about." So what I do is I just present the information, and I would say, "Okay, if you you know if if you don't believe in past lives, um, you might at least want to check out." one of my books um you know check out the old souls guidebook um but uh, yeah i'm i'm not in, in the business of trying to convince anyone of of anything but if you're interested i uh, i will talk endlessly as you can probably <laughs> tell i mean it's my specialist subject I'm, I'm fascinated by it i love what i do and uh, so yeah i'll answer any questions and and help you as much as possible I, I yeah. hope that helps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's fair to say that there's going to be a fair share of skeptics and everyone's on their own path and own journey and, and that's okay. And I think this is, uh, yeah. this platform is really just a place to open, open your mind and, um, and maybe even leave with more questions than, than when you started. So, um, sure. yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for your time, Ansley. This was such a fascinating thank conversation. <laughs> Well, it's it's been such a pleasure, and I'm, I'm I hope we can do it again. To, yes, I, mean, I know so much more we can talk about. Yes, I would. Yeah, I would love to have you back on the show again at, at some point and and explore different um, areas of this world. I think there's there's so much. So really, really grateful for your time. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing as well. Um, so for our audience, thank you so much for joining and for listening today. In this episode, we learned about old souls and how you can find out about your life plan and life purpose with Ainsley McLeod. So tune into Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one -on -one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Mm -hmm.